Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. We have two of our regulars on today's show. Dane Itell from Itell Insights is going to break down the June data for real estate sales in Vancouver, which number's not great right now, but he actually has some very, very interesting insights into some possible investments in real estate in other parts of the country that might make some sense right now. And then after that, Retail Insider's Craig Patterson joins us to dive into the latest news in retail, including some distinct differences between Canadian and American consumers. You're going to want to find out what that's all about. But first, let's kick it off with Dane Itell. And here today to talk to us about the latest real estate data for the month of June, as well as some very interesting potential markets across Canada that investors may want to take a closer look at. It is Dane Idle, founder and lead analyst of Idle Insights. Dane, great to have you back on the show. Tyler, pleasure as always, brother. Okay, so June. Maybe not a great month for the market, just based on data coming out from the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Maybe let's start with detached homes. What are you seeing right now with regards to the month of June? You know, June's an interesting time as as we kind of went over May here not too long ago. These are usually your your Christmas season to the real estate market, right? You see a lot of activity, a lot of sales. Um, Not so much as you kind of alluded to here in June. We really only saw 761 detached sales take place in June, which is well off of the uh, zenith of the market when we saw in 2016, where there was 2,200 sales take place. So um, the, the demand's not there. Prices are coming down quite staunchly. And we actually saw a detached market come in at uh, 1510000 Now, kind of beyond that number, why that's interesting, um, it's a second test of the 10-year uptrend here in 2019. So that uptrend was established right after that 0809 recession. We've tested that mark multiple times over the years. Each time the market propelled itself higher, saying that we're not willing to break this 10-year uptrend. But where it's at today, or as of June, 1510000 is right on that 10-year uptrend. I do anticipate a bit of a bump here over the uh, the remaining portion of the year. Probably, oh, really? over, yeah, just over the next quarter or two, um, and, and not a not a reversal of a market. But we're actually seeing a little bit more of a realization come to this seller side of the market, where where they're actually achieving sales based on listing their property, maybe aggressively. But that's aggressive based on historical current market analysis, which is offered by a lot of realtors. Clients of ours, we trended out. And so we're actually seeing a little bit of a shift to the market mentality that, yeah, you do have to get ahead of this market. So we might see an actual, uh, a little bit of a lift, maybe some more sales with properly priced listings coming on the market over the next quarter or so. So a bump in sales, but you say that maybe sellers will be a little bit more aggressive. Does that mean you'll see more of a come down with regards to prices? You know, on an average sale basis, not so much, especially for the detached market. That's the interesting thing. You'll see properties, you know, that were on the market here for 60 days. It's really difficult for them to to receive a bid, which which we assume would be an offer come into play simply because they're they're lagging the market. So when they listed, they were probably 30 to 60 days behind the true trends of the market and buyers are really kind of biding their time. Now, however, because we're down roughly 17% from the peak of the market, we're kind of mitigating a lot of the stress test effects. And and we see a a pool of buyers that really have um, a want to move up in the market. You know, maybe there's an extra child or or school catchments, many reasons why they want to make a switch into a detached property. 
and they weren't able to originally because of that full 20% decrease to their mortgage qualifications. Over the last year or so, they've saved, they've scrimped, and now they can actually see their way into a detached property. Now, um, it, 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 it's not as low as prices will eventually be as we go forward. But for those that have that need, there is an opportunity now to kind of start to enter into that market. And why prices will kind of stay maybe around the 500 or 1510000 and above, but still below the downtrend line that's established, creating more of a divergent trend um, that we believe will likely pay, play out in first quarter of 2020, simply just because achievable prices will be met rather than putting a property on the market where the buyers th- simply have no opportunity to purchase just because of the stress test. One of the reveals that I think got a lot of headlines was the fact that if you look across all property types, then we actually see kind of the threshold fall below $1 million for average sale price. And this is across all property types there. Does that represent any sort of psychological barrier for the market? Or does it just not matter that much since these are across all property types, not just maybe detached or condo, etc.? You know, I mean, it is a psychological value, um, just because it's put out there, right? Um, We see intrinsic psychological values more on a on a detailed basis. And that's how we kind of see middle thresholds throughout the various markets rather than just, um, you know, the aggregate market breaking below 1 million. Th- that would have probably held as an old indicator because Hytel Insights is, is prevalent in the market. We're kind of alerting people a lot sooner. Um, basically, you know, when we first met with you uh, over a year ago, we the prices have come down 320000 So had you waited for this indicator, you're, you're well behind the mark. Okay. So we started off with detached homes. What's going on with regards to the condo market? You alluded to, you maybe some people uh, are in different family situations, for example, right. looking to move out of the condo market. But tell us what's going on here based on what you have. The condo market's still, um, still trickling lower, let's say, would be probably a kind word. As we sit right now, we're over $100,000 off the top. We, you know, The top of the market was 750000 Currently, the market in June was 643000 Where we think this market stops is still all the way down at five twenty-five. So we still have a significant uh, down mark to go in, in the condo market. Simply, we, we have a ton more of inventory that will be introduced to this market in the upcoming years, right? So as we sit right now, there was 5,900 listed properties in the condo market across Greater Vancouver with only 946 sales. Okay. So that inventory is continually building. And as you see properties, uh, pre-sale properties come to completion, you'll see an, an extra plethora of inventory come onto the market there. Uh, in, in addition to what hasn't been sold in pre-sale markets, you'll, you'll probably see a lot of investors uh, actually walk away from their purchase, leave their deposit behind, and those properties will be reintroduced to the market as well. You anticipate a bit of bump in sales for detached homes. Where do you think maybe the remainder of the year goes for condos? The condo market, it's, it's right around its middle threshold. Um, I... However, now we kind of alluded to the 10-year uptrend and how the detached market is closer to the bottom of of this uh, strong uptrend. The condo market, because it exploded so fast and its normal growth cycle uh, isn't as uh, aggressive as what the uh, growth cycle that we have experienced, it's actually still entering into back into that 10-year uptrend. So it, it took off quite hard, quite fast, and we are seeing a retraction in the market, as we said, over $100,000 off. I don't see it doing anything detrimental here over the next six months or so before the remaining portion of the year. However, leading into late 2020, when you do see more of these completions come on, you'll see a a sharp move down in prices. Um, You can achieve a bid 
and where the condo market and the detached market vary, vary quite drastically is the uniqueness of a property. Um, a detached property has a variety of reasons why you might, you know, it's a corner lot, this and that. So four bedrooms, five bedrooms, backyards, there's a, there's a lot of differentiating features. With the condo, um, it's really view and exposure. After that, it's kind of square footage and there's a lot of similar type properties. So you, you, you will continue to see a tough time selling the condo market um, as opposed to a similar type in the detached. It's, it's, a, it's a more competitive environment and that will continue to play out. So you really do have to be very, very sharp um, with which realtor you choose in this condo market. And, and just kind of a little quick note on that. Realtors right now, they're trying to stay busy, right? So it, it is a time to really make sure that you're a priority if you're working with an independent realtor. Okay. So obviously maybe for this market, it's we, we've seen better days at this point, right. but uh, <laughs> especially if you're a seller. But uh, let's say you are an investor and you're looking at what's going on in the rest of Canada. Let's start with the jurisdiction like Fort McMurray. Look, you had the wildfires, you had the oil shock. It's a very jurisdi- different jurisdiction than it was, you know, just a few short right. years ago. What's going on with the Fort Mac uh, sort of uh, real estate market now? Fort McMurray is interesting. It's an opportunity we're seeing. Um, basically, we, we were on your show in January, and we, and we kind of alluded to uh, Fort McMurray being an opportunity. The the months that have kind of played out confirm what we were thinking. We've tested the 2005 prices right around that 330 threshold or 340 threshold. Sorry. We've bottomed, right? So that market technically cannot go any lower. It's had oil patch dry up, government change twice, um, and, and the forest fires, like you said. So there was really no more bad news that could happen to Fort Mac. Everything that had happened occurred. So it was kind of Murphy's Law, whatever can will happen, and that's transpired. Now we're actually seeing a reversal of fortune. So we're starting to see the sales tick up and the inventory come off. That leads to you to the next factor of prices starting to increase. So no longer are we at the 340, we're back up closer to the 350 price point. Eventually, we will go back up to that 500,000. So strictly for a dollar for dollar basis over the next year or two, I would be investing in Fort McMurray rather than looking for a detached or a condo property here in Greater Vancouver. Long term, of course, Greater Vancouver would probably do better um, simply because prices are at a different scale. But, you know, if somebody wants to build up equity, maybe for Absolutely. a first time home purchase, you know, this might not be a bad idea. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the investment mentality, that's that's where we're driven. And th- we would be looking at Fort Mac um, as a, as a very serious opportunity. Now, we haven't fully broken the downtrends. Um, and, and of course, we didn't in January at that point in time either. But however, the other analytics that we do um, for each individual region alluded that prices will start to increase. Now we're seeing a definite stabilization. And as soon as we see this market break out of the downtrend, we will more than likely see a fairly significant reaction and, and prices will shoot up rather quickly and then stay somewhat uh, dormant and, and, and kind of go back up to where they previously were at, which was 660000 when the market peaked um, in May of 2012. But your recommendation uh, is maybe don't wait too long if you're an investor looking at Fort Mac. Absolutely. Uh, I mean... Yes, you can invest next year and, and you will still do well. Um, however, you know, the inventory, your, your competition level will actually start to pick up, right? That's that's one of the niceties that we alert clients to is that we can purchase when there's a lot of inventory, less competition. As the rest of the analytics companies, the rest of the economists, the rest of some major media 
gets wind that, hey, real estate prices aren't any lower. Actually, they increased 100,000. Now's the time to invest. We say, hey, we're at the bottom. We don't have to wait for the full 100,000 increase to say that this place is investable. Why don't we put that in our pocket as equity? So one that might seem even less obvious uh, than, say, Fort McMurray, but tell us maybe what's going on with Halifax and why people might just want to take a closer look there. Halifax is interesting. Um, Again, in the January show, we said that there was a divergent trend that was playing out in Halifax. Now, with a divergent trend, you have a clear and obvious winner. That's something that we believe will be coming up here in first quarter of 2020 for the detached market. So kind of just to show an example of what we mean by that, the prices in January were 303000 And that meant that we had lower highs, but higher lows, meeting right in the middle point. In March, the market shot up $38,000. So over 10% of the market value in one month was achieved. Um, and so early investors are investors that uh, took advice saw a nice return. Now we're in the mode of establishing a new growth cycle. So it retracted down to 316 last month in June or May, sorry, was 327,000. So we're, we're actually seeing an uptrend um, establishing itself and that will continue to play out for, for the years to come. Um, Halifax has some fundamental reasons, of course, why. Uh, we see a government that maybe is a little bit more leaning towards offering some fisheries um, help. So Halifax is doing well that way. In addition, there's some good, very good schools out in the East Coast and prices are affordable. So after you graduate, you can get a job and, and really move into the real estate market as opposed to here. You, you graduate and you're in debt and you get in further debt and paying your rent and, you know, living the Vancouver lifestyle. So Halifax is a place that you can go and stay and, and now... I mean, investors are looking for green pastures. Greater Vancouver isn't one. Toronto, we still believe, will be falling off here over the next quarter at the most. Um, we're, we're surprised it didn't do it already here in June. And um, yeah, Halifax and Fort McMurray would be places that are, are definitely greener pastures. Well, excellent. Dane, as always, pleasure having you on the show. No problem, Tyler. And we'll look forward to the next time. That's Dane Itell. He is founder and lead analyst at Idol Insights. And stay with us. We're going to talk to Craig Patterson from Retail Insider in just a second. And it is time for us to dive into the latest news in retail. With us today, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we've got some new research out from Lightspeed that's showing that maybe Canadians are a bit more about embracing physical retail more so than our American neighbors. I don't know, uh, Craig, are, are we just maybe further behind in the trends or is there something inherently different about physical retail that we just happen to like? You know, it's actually a combination of both, I think. Um, and in fact, I think it's a bit complicated. Uh, you know, in Canada, we've got, uh, you know, obviously people who are shopping more and, and prefer to shop more, I guess you'd say, in physical uh, retail spaces. And uh, I mean, they're doing so for a variety of reasons. I mean, we actually have really great retail spaces in Canada, which which I think is interesting. Um, you know, they do in the United States, but, you know, Canadians, uh, given our weather, we're a little more apt to... Uh, you know, say go indoors, and uh, you know we still have a little more, I guess you'd say, discretionary income in order to uh, to spend in stores. But also, we don't quite have the same proliferation of e-commerce as we see in the United States in terms of uh, say the offerings online. So you know, it's, we still kind of go to stores for certain things as well. But but I think the gap will narrow. Well, do you think that plays in at all to maybe that so-called retail apocalypse that they're having in the U.S., where you're just seeing like mall after mall close? I I just wonder if maybe. The U.S. also suffers from too many malls as well. 
Definitely. I mean, the um, square footage per person uh, in terms of shopping centers and overall retail space in the United States is much, much higher than in Canada. I think it's like almost 27 in the United States versus like 16.5 in Canada. So, um, you know, statistically, there's a lot more retail space in the United States. But I was actually just reading an article about how um, the middle class in terms of, uh, you know, those that would be within that income bracket have shrunk substantially in the United States. So, uh, now what you're seeing is this polarization where, you know, a lot of, uh, well, there's a percentage of high-end earners that are able to spend quite a bit. Um, you're seeing dollar stores opening all over the place. And, you know, that is physical retail, of course. So, you know, that's where I think a lot of people are shopping. So you're seeing luxury retailers expanding and lower-priced ones, but you're seeing these middle retailers uh, not expanding so much. And the middle retailers are being addressed, you know, by department stores and a lot of those sort of mid-market fashion retailers you see in malls. So, uh, we haven't seen the death of the middle class in Canada to the same degree. So we still have more of those middle retailers, but it, the trend is still happening here. We're still seeing a lot of those die. I mean, we're down to one major department store chain in Canada, which is Hudson's Bay. Well, if we keep it on the uh, thread of, say, shopping centers, let's talk about Vancouver's Royal Center. It's getting a bit of an overhaul. And I don't know, it's just one of those odd little malls wedged right between Burrard and Granville Street Skytrain stations. Uh, I'm always fascinated when I find myself walking in there. But what can we expect from this uh, touch-up that it's going to be getting? Uh, this is an exciting development. I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about the proposal, but, uh, you know, to speak positively about it first, I mean, it's updating the corner of Burrard and West Georgia Street that I think really needed it. You know, the uh, direct corner has a, has a Royal Bank um, and this sort of an awkward podium, and then you've got this uh, labyrinth uh, underground shopping centre that really has never been that cool. It, it most recently hasn't been that compelling. It actually had some better retailers, I guess, in the 80s and the 90s when it was a bit newer and things were different. So, you know, they're looking at... Uh, doing an overhaul, um, they'd have a large Royal Bank on the corner, which, uh, again, you know, is uh, a large tenant. Uh, there'd be offices above it. It's going to be the Royal Bank. So I think Vancouver headquarters, Western, Western Canadian headquarters, perhaps. Um, a large restaurant, uh, some other retail space in there. But, you know, it'll be updated. But one thing I'm a little bit critical of, or, or one opportunity that I see being missed, is uh, given that Hermes, uh, you know, the luxury brand from Paris, is building a large flagship store directly across the street, and given that the Hotel Vancouver is, you know, Kitty Corner, and on that corner they've got Dior, and the hotel also has uh, a large Dior, largest in North America for a few more months until the Toronto one's open. You've got, you know, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, St. John, uh, Omega, you know, you've got some really big brands in there. And um, to me, it would have made sense to turn the Royal Center, or um, I think Royal Bank Center is what it would be renamed as. Uh, I think there's an opportunity missed to create a luxury mall in downtown Vancouver. And I think that it was actually needed because, you know, I've got insider info into some of the tenants being signed at the uh, Amazing Brentwood is what it's called. And there's some of the luxury brands that are in downtown Vancouver, and they're some of the biggest names. So there's going to be some huge competition. The uh, dynamic uh, of shopping in Vancouver is going to, I think, transform. And there's a risk that uh, they could pull, uh, you know, at least high-end shoppers from the downtown core. So uh, losing, you know, this Royal Centre opportunity to me is a bit concerning overall. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that far from, say, Robson and Alberni. And then you also have the banking district. It's right in the centre of the banking district in Vancouver as well. So it just seems as if there's that kind of potential that I never thought about until you brought it up. Definitely. I mean, if I was a broker, I would be salivating being able to lease some of the space to say at the corner of uh, Burrard and Georgia. And, uh, you know, rumor had it at one time that Gucci would have been a tenant in there. So, you know, mm. I think that the thought process was there. 
Um, and it would make perfect sense. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, West Georgia Street's fairly wide, but I still think that people would cross the street. I mean, Stefano Ricci is next to the Trump Hotel, currently the Trump Hotel anyways. And, uh, um, you know, it's a very high-end brand. So, you know, having a brand like that on that side of the street, I think, you know, people will cross the street if they see a gigantic Gucci store, say, you know, I'm using that hypothetically because it's not happening. But, um, no, I do think that, you know, there's only so much room to expand that luxury zone. And, it's still, I think, a successful shopping district. And, uh, you know, it is, I guess, maybe a little unfortunate that the uh, Royal Bank Plaza or whatever, <laughs> I can't have to get the exact name, uh, you know, will not be, you know, focused on that because I think that they could have made a lot of money in rent. They probably could have charged $200 a square foot for the ground floor spaces there. Yeah. And I doubt, I doubt Royal Bank would be, char- uh, you know, paying that kind of rent. Well, if we're talking about changes afoot for retail here in Vancouver and uh, other places across Canada, Shoppers Drug Mart. They're shuttering almost all of their beauty concept outlets. Tell us a little bit about what's going on here and maybe why, I don't know, there, there is some hope for those that are fond of them here in the metro area. Yeah, well, Mural is the concept that Shoppers Drug Mart launched a few years ago, and it was supposed to expand around the country. And, you know, it was a female focus. I guess that's not surprising. It would be female focused in terms of being, you know, a, a beauty brand that carries, you know, makeup and, and other things. But um, you know, the, the overall aesthetic was very gentle and, you know, where there were pinks and blues and, uh, you know, this was meant to be a high-end concept that would have stores across the country. And they did. They opened stores, you know, uh, a few of them here and there. And, and one of them uh, is still open at the Oak Ridge Center in Vancouver. And it's only one of two left. So, uh, you know, morale, the shoppers drug has been shutting down the concept stores down over the past few years. And, I mean, really, when you've got, you know, one store in Vancouver and one of the CF shops at Don Mills in Toronto, I don't think the concept has any legs. It, it doesn't make sense to operate a beauty chain with two stores. So, you know, but all is not lost. You know, Shoppers Drug Mart's been beefing up its uh, um, beauty boutique concept. And, uh, you know, I was in Calgary a while ago and they actually have a standalone beauty uh, boutique by Shoppers Drug Mart. So I think this is something we're seeing. And, you know, I had insider information that that was the plan, that they were going to launch a different, uh, you know, brand. Uh, they weren't even going to call it necessarily Beauty Boutique. I, that never ended up happening. But we are seeing this expansion. It's an incredibly uh, competitive time because Ulta Beauty is about to come into Canada. And it's uh, sort of like almost a large format warehouse type of, uh, you know, beauty retailer. It, stores are experiential. Um, you know, they're going to compete against that and Sephora at the same time, which is also expanding like crazy. And then the individual brands are coming uh, in as well and opening their own stores. Clinique has its only standalone Canadian store, the CF Richmond Center. So, uh, you know, it's this incredibly competitive time in the beauty industry. And, uh, you know, I think morale was just squeezed out. I just don't think the concept was executed as well as it could have been. Well, one of the other things that will be coming into this jurisdiction, uh, Dutch retailer Hema, I, I think that's how it's pronounced, it's making a move for Canada. I, I'm not super familiar with them. Uh, can you tell me a little bit, Craig, about maybe what uh, Hema is known for? Yeah, I had to research it myself because uh, apparently I hadn't noticed it in my travels. I mean, most of the stores are in the Netherlands, so it's not a, a market that I know as well. But uh, I think the vast majority of stores are there. But, you know, they're in a, ma- a major global expansion right now. It's kind of an, another variety retailer. I mean, it's not as, say, cheap as Dollarama, but uh, it's got home goods. Uh, it may actually bring its fashion goods to Canada. I'm not sure. But uh, they're launching an expansion this year. Um, how it's going to happen, basically, is, number one, they've partnered with Walmart. So um, they're going to have a few of these uh, Hema shopping stores in Walmart stores, So, which I think is a brilliant strategy for everyone involved. I mean, they're getting you know, real estate that wouldn't be too expensive. They're getting access to those Walmart shoppers, and Walmart is creating something that uh, 
I'm sure they're going to make money somewhere off of this, probably through rent or percentage sales. And, you know, it's, it's going to drive some more traffic to Walmart. So, I mean, I, I think it's win-win. And then, you know, um, him is also saying that they're going to open standalone stores. They're going to start in Ontario, but they'll do a national expansion. So this is a, you know, another competitor in the variety retail space. We've seen Miniso come in. They, uh, you know, they're from China. They, they say they're Japanese, but they're Chinese. And, you know, they said they want to do 500 stores in Canada. We're seeing these international retailers coming in and blitzing Canada with new stores. And, you know, the question is, where do the homegrown stores stand and where do the other, you know, retailers that came in and are expanding also uh, fit into this? Because there's only so much room and people only have so much money. So uh, it's, it's a really fascinating time because there's no slowdown in international brands that are coming into Canada by opening stores. Uh, well, we could be in for another banner year this year. And, you know, that's exciting and concerning at the same time. Well, we kind of talked about it the other week, though, with regards to why luxury retailers are interested in, say, Vancouver. But why do you think just regular retailers are eyeing Canada as an ideal jurisdiction to launch a shop? Canada Canada is a pretty attractive market. I mean, uh, we've got, you know, there is still disposable income, or at least people are still shopping. I know that there's a lot of debt, but... Uh, um, you know, I, I think some market or you know some retailers, what they do is they'll look to new markets to expand to expand their revenue growth. And say in the case of HEMA, you know, I'm sure they've more than uh, you know saturated the Netherlands with their stores. You know, they've got at least a couple of hundred in that one small country alone. So, um, you know, this is an avenue for growth. Uh, you know, Canada is a market that you know people are shopping. It's a safe market. It's uh, uh, you know, it's an attractive market overall. Um, funny enough, we also have a relationship with. Uh, the Netherlands, you know, from World War II, but I, I don't think that was actually specifically you know, one of the reasons why they chose to expand because they also announced they're going into the United States as well. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, Canada is looked at it as an attractive market uh, uh, for brands because, we know, we're known. And, uh, you know, again, we're, we're a place that, you know, I don't want to say we're underserved with retail, but some international brands may look at the market here and say, oh, well, we can be really, really successful. And maybe, you know, a few years ago, we were underserved in terms of, you know, international brands and having concepts in here. But I'd say the tipping point has been reached. We have a lot of uh, new retailers in Canada. It's it's been it's been quite a ride over the last five years in terms of every year we've seen at least twenty retailers come in, uh, new retailers come into Canada, and we saw fifty, uh, more than fifty in 2017, and I think we're going to see more than forty this year in 2019. Well, it's going to be interesting, just as we have all those more options for consumers here. Uh, one other thing, maybe we'll leave it off with this, but of course, sustainability is becoming a bigger and bigger issue, but. Craig, uh, you have a story here that you can delve into. Uh, how are maybe single-use plastics playing into the equation for, say, the clothing industry? Yeah, really interesting. There's a company called Norden Project. Um, they have you know some stores in Vancouver that carry the product. Uh, they're based in Montreal currently, and they've developed proprietary fabric out of single-use plastics. So, uh, I you know I think that would mean like water bottles and that sort of a thing. Uh, you know that it's it's kind of been a bit controversial lately. You know, there are people are saying that. Single-use plastic should be banned. You know, our oceans are full of plastic. And this company's come and developed a fabric that's made out of this plastic. I mean, I, I'm not an expert, but perhaps this could be a way of, uh, you know, utilizing something that's you know, flooding our oceans and otherwise polluting the world and actually turning it into something which would be useful. So it is quite exciting. Apparently, there are other companies doing some, you know, similar to this as well, which is good news in my mind because it means that more, you know, companies are... Are able to do this so I, I hope this is able to at least you know put a dent in the pollution problem that we have with plastics and uh, you know it's, it's an innovation that's there and we're seeing you know this is a huge trend in terms of uh, moving away from plastic we're seeing these uh, 
you know, grocery stores now, like the Nada Market in Vancouver. I think it's called Nada Market in Vancouver. It's a zero waste grocery store. Yeah, I, I know exactly where it is. Uh, I think uh, my colleague, Glenn Korstrom here at BIV.com and Business and Vancouver Newspaper, he wrote about them. It's kind of interesting stuff that they're up to. Yeah, and you know, it's a huge trend because I know another company in uh, Toronto is planning on opening more than one. So this isn't, you know, just something we're going to see, you know, as a fly-by-night, uh, you know, temporary trend. I think that this could actually be something big. We're seeing the big grocery stores doing it. And then there's another company in Vancouver about to launch something that I, I may or may not be involved with called Drinkfill. And uh, what that is essentially is a uh, vending machine for, for various types of drinks that, uh, um, you know, they dispense cups, but uh, they're not uh, single use. So you pay a bit of money for it and it may be branded. You could use it or you can bring your own water bottle and fill it. And I think that we're seeing a shift in society as we look at how we you know, consume plastics and whatnot. And I think there is a movement away from single use water bottles. So I'd say, you know, watch for a lot of these trends to come down uh, the pipeline. And I'm actually, you know, I never, I didn't realize I would change my own patterns, but I am. I mean, uh, I'm going to try one of these zero waste grocery stores. And what's really neat is even the big grocery stores now are jumping in on this trend. So, you know, if you're used to it, uh, you know, your larger grocery store and the product that's there, you can still get this, uh, you know, environmental friendliness while you're shopping, I guess. Well, excellent. Craig, as always, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help us reach even more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening. 